Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom Your calling? Do you long to witness and support the awesome power of women as we make life, form kinship, and transform the world through undisturbed, mother-centered birth? In your most expansive vision of your life, are you the authentic midwife of your community? Walking in total grace, reciprocity, and trust with women through the sacred portal of pregnancy and birth? Then our groundbreaking Radical Birthkeeper School is for you. It's an immersive and intensive, fast-paced live program in all things authentic midwifery and self-mastery that will give you the blueprint and guidance to launch a life-altering, world-shaking Radical Birth brand and business. Think birth business mastermind, life-changing coaching intensive, deep dive into all things birth, step-by-step roadmap for serving women authentically, and the wise woman initiation that you have been dreaming of, all rolled into one epic program that will change your entire life. It is time to become the lighthouse that guides women home to themselves. Head over to RadicalBirthKeeperSchool.com and grab your spot because we are enrolling now and we always sell out. Say yes to your calling and join us in this revolution of bringing birth back home. www.RadicalBirthKeeperSchool.com This week we have Roxanne, a Radical Birthkeeper School graduate from Belgium who had her first baby via C-section after finding out her daughter was breech. Roxanne suffered a horrible, life-threatening complication from the surgery six days postpartum and decided shortly after that there was no way she would ever go back to the hospital to birth again. Roxanne stayed steadfast to her vision and birthed her second daughter in her own home, away from the harms of the hospital. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. (laughs) I'm excited to have you here. Take us to the beginning. Where does your mothering journey begin for you? Yeah, I just want to start by saying that I'm so excited to be here because this podcast has been a huge part of uh, 
well, of my pregnancy and my journey. And, uh, I, and I remember listening to the episodes when I was pregnant with my second daughter and thinking like, one day I'll tell my story here. And this is the day. So it's really exciting. Oh, cool. Thank you so much. <laughs> so my story starts in Qatar. We were living in Qatar with uh, my husband. I met him there. We always knew that we wanted to have kids. He's from a family of six children. And I have two sisters, but we knew we wanted a big family and we wanted to start. So um, it was in 2018. I got pregnant after a few months of, of trying. I was really like, I was in the system. I wasn't questioning much. I was working as an airline pilot. And uh, I thought that I would do just like my mom, who was an airline pilot as well. I would, you know, have my kids and like keep doing whatever I was doing. And just, uh, and, and actually like becoming a mother changed my life completely. So I had the whole regular testing and everything. But I decided not to birth in Qatar because there they really, really like C-sections. And my due date was around Christmas. So we wanted to be like close to family and not stuck in Qatar with no one coming to see us. Sure. Uh, so I did my entire uh, prenatal care uh, in Belgium. So I was flying every month from Qatar to Belgium uh, to meet mid with, uh, with the midwives. I had decided to give birth in a birth center, uh, like a birth house, which is separate from the hospital. Mm -hmm. which at the time felt already alternative to me. Like I thought that women who were having home birth with regulated midwives were a bit crazy. <laughs> so um, the whole pregnancy was, was quite uneventful. In the first trimester, I was depressed. And I didn't, I didn't dare to tell anyone because I felt ashamed. I was so happy to be pregnant. Why was I feeling these waves of darkness come over me? Why did I want to die? That was really hard. But it, it went away after three months. And then uh, I was just feeling great, so happy to be pregnant. I, I kept flying for three months. So that's probably why I was also really tired and why I felt depressed. But I think it's also because I was starting to like come out and become a different person. And so a lot of things came up that I was not ready to deal with at the time. And then at the end of my pregnancy, I got a big, big stress thinking that I, I had my dates wrong and that I wouldn't be able to fly back home to give birth uh, in Belgium because I was flying like at the last moment, like, I don't know, it's 35 weeks and some days. And I thought that, I'm, that I messed up and that I would be stuck there. And I remember that night feeling my baby move so much and like, like not sleeping at all because she was moving so much. And a few days later, I had an ultrasound to confirm that I was fit to fly. And there the, the, the OB said, Oh, your baby's breech. I was like, what? Like my baby had, was, had, head down the whole pregnancy and suddenly she would breach that was like I was so upset and angry at my baby and mm -hmm. I started looking up everything to yeah looking up everything to to turn around I did like spinning baby stuff and I went on a ironing board with my head down and I put like all this crazy stupid stuff that you that they tell you to do because your baby is in the wrong position according to them and then I, I well I flew back to Belgium because I, I, actually my dates were correct and then I saw my midwife who was like, you still have time uh, to, because it was not allowed to uh, birth a breech baby in the birth house. Yeah. So she said like oxytocin, just like cuddle up with your partner, be like, you know, relaxed. And then I went to the, to the OB there, which I had never met, which was a horrible woman. Like I, I always say that she was patriarchy in a woman's body, you know, even worse than some male OBs. Mm -hmm. She said, oh, your baby will never turn. What are you like? 
so I was like, I was devastated. And then when I started to talk about gentle C-sections, because the thing is, my baby had her, the cord around her neck twice. We could see that on the ultrasound, apparently. Uh, so the doctor said that she would hang by her cord and that she would die. What? If God, I tried they'll to just go. say anything. Yeah. They, you can't tell sometimes if they're that fucking stupid that they just believe this stuff. Or if they're actively, knowingly lying, you know, like I, I think she it. was convinced. I think she was convinced that it was true. I think she's so convinced so that your baby was like, would like be hanging by the cord if he's born breech like that. Uh. So she said there was no way we could try to turn around or everything, which I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do the external version. Um, but, but until the end, I still believed that she would turn. So I still like, that's why I stayed with that OB. It, it was because I, then I could, I was, I had my plan. My baby would turn at the first contractions. I would drive to the hospital, do an ultrasound, check that she was head down and then just go and call the midwife and go to the birth center. But that didn't happen because she never turned. I actually, I, I, at the end, I even did an acupuncture se session to try to turn her and, uh, and I fainted. So then I decided that I would stop trying to, 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 to put her in a position that she did, obviously didn't want to be in. And so, yeah, the end of, of the pregnancy, I cried a lot. I was really angry. I really, did, I, I, I really, really didn't want that C-section. That was the opposite of what I wanted. Uh, and everyone was like, why are you so upset? You know, it's just another way to birth. And, uh, and at least like, yeah, your yoni won't be destroyed. Like that yeah. kind of comment where you're like, oh. yeah, thank you for that comment. So on the day, uh, yeah, the only thing that I managed to negotiate with the horrible OB who laughed when I said, that maybe I wanted in the C-section to try to push or, you know, to do something a little bit more like a birth, which obviously is, is not a birth, like a vaginal birth. She said, no, we're not going to do that. You can't do skin to skin with your baby. It's too cold in the, in the operating room. You can't do this. You can't do that. She was just like really, really horrible. And I still stayed with her. And then she wanted to plan the C-section because my due date was 22nd of December. So she really didn't want to come for Christmas and stuff. So she really wanted to plan it on the 18th. And for that, I stood strong. And I'm so, so happy that I did because I had uh, read Michel Audin's book about like induction and everything. And that it's still better to have the baby choose their own birth time, which is obvious. So the... Um, Contraction started, we went to the hospital, the C-section was just a C-section. I was not in my body, I was just like somewhere there. Yeah, it was, <sighs> yeah, yeah. The, the first time that I met my daughter, my entire body was itching, which they didn't tell me was normal with the anesthetic product. So I was like, am I dying? Is this, is this something wrong? I couldn't connect with her, she was on me, but everything was just itching. Um, we managed to get out of the hospital as soon as possible. We really, we really didn't want to stay there. And then we were home and it was good. And after six days, my mother, who was also a pilot in Qatar, came from Qatar to visit us and to, to meet our daughter, which we called Cassiopeia, which is like the, the stars, the constellation. And, um, and she, my mother cooked. I was on the couch and I had already called the midwife to tell her that something was weird with my scar, like there was a bulging. And she came that day to remove... The the, the, the sutures and she's but I was lying down so she said no nothing looks weird it doesn't look like it's bulging it looks okay and I wasn't in pain so um and then um she left my mother came she cooked dinner and she said okay let's eat and I just stood up from the couch which was like a meter and a half far um, from the table and then once I arrived at the table I had this like piercing pain which made me inst instantly start to cry 
And I was like, whoa, this is so painful. Like what's going on? And then I look, I remember I looked at my mom and I said, it feels like it's opening, but it's not possible, right? And then I just, I, I saw through my, I had a, um, a black skirt. I saw through my skirt that there was blood. So I opened to, to see and like in front of my eyes, my scar opened, like really like a, you know, a, a clothes that you would rip out the, the, the suturing, like da, 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 it opened. Oh, and it's not really a scar yet at six days. Yes. Well, yeah. The, the, the incision, the incision. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, and then um, my intestine came out like, <laughs> From the, from the incision and I just went on my knees and I, I let out the, a scream that we all remembered for months after mm -hmm. that. Um, and, and then I was there on, on all fours, like petrified. My oh. mom came, she turned me around. I, she told me like, lie down because obviously it was, gravity was not really helping me in that case. Um, so, but you I- You actually I, saw your intestines come out. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God, Roxy. Yeah. It was good because I was wearing uh, underwear and it kind of contained. I think it would have been, like, yeah, after that, I was thinking if it happened in the shower, it would have been like, Aww. yeah. So, um, so um, then, well, the whole thing, like um, we called the ambulance. My mom was, was behind me. They came, they took me and, and I was on the, on the stretcher thing. Uh, they get, at that point, they gave me morphine. So it was easier to, uh, to handle the pain. And then I remember I my husband was there with my, my six, day, six days old baby in, in his arms. I said, you go to the next door organic shop, you buy this formula, but like this organic formula, but it's only for this afternoon because I'm breastfeeding her tonight already. Like uh, I, 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 it was clear for me that this was not gonna, like not gonna threaten our breastfeeding relationship. So they, they, I, I had a surgery. They put everything back in. The, the crazy oh. thing is that the, the surgeon who operated me was an eight-month pregnant uh, surgeon. Oh. And she got a C-section the next month. And then she was taken care of by the same midwife who took care of me. Who, and yeah, like crazy. And yeah, and after that, obviously, we were in, in survival mode for a few, a few months. I didn't, I didn't realize how crazy this whole thing uh, was. I, actually, when my mom came to see me in the hospital after I woke up from the, the anesthesia, she was like, okay, so the surgeon said that you're going to be really tired. So you can either sleep and then we will take care of the baby at home and, or you can pump your milk and, and breastfeed and we bring, we bring her to you and you can breastfeed her. I was like, bring her to me. Like, I want my baby. Uh, I, I want to breastfeed her. Like, and the first night I still thought that it, it was kind of funny. <laughs> like, I was like, these things only happen to me. You know, my life is always so like no. crazy like but it, usually in a good way but I was like ah you know only this thing can only happen to me but then the next day I was like why did it happen to yeah. me I was feeling a lot of guilt because I thought that maybe I did too much but it turns out from the surgeon that apparently um, it was not done properly I mean that's what she said that like it, it it really looked like you know if you're you're suing something and you don't do a knot at the end well you know it's gonna open so um, so yeah, that's we all never... that really happened was that literally the incision just reopened yeah. so it wasn't closed properly yeah and that was it yeah oh my god that is so dangerous wow yes. and probably it was the in inside incision because there are a few right. that was done Ooh. incorrectly and that's why it was bulging Mm -hmm. And then actually with the pressure, when we removed the, the thing from the outer incision, that's why it opened. 
So, yeah, so that was the the beginning of my uh, motherhood journey. But the good thing is that the breastfeeding went really well and I bonded with my baby. Like, I think it's maybe this whole crazy thing helped me bond even more with my baby, like become even more protective. Oh, yeah. But it's like trauma bonding. Yes. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And, And it's interesting, right? Like, thank God they didn't let you have a vaginal breech birth, right? Like the logic of how... I mean, you could have died, like the logic to put you through surgery and then have a, have a not uncommon complication that could have risked your life yeah. was on the rationalization that it was too dangerous for you to have a vaginal birth. It's just so nuts. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. So at what point in your, now you are recovering, you've had two surgeries now. And at what point do you start to like question what went down? You know, like how how does that first year leave you? I was, I I was sure that my, my C-section was unnecessary. Like already from like, I, I, it was very deep, deep down inside me. I knew that this C-section was unnecessary. I didn't have the proof yet. Like, so that's why I decided to become a doula <laughs> at that point. I, I was still a pilot. I, I went back to flying after six months. It was really hard I, because like becoming a mother completely shifted the energy that I was in. I used to be in a very masculine energy. And so becoming a pilot was natural and easy. But then after having my daughter going back to fly, I was like, what am I doing here? I'm pumping my milk in hotel rooms and there's someone at home taking care of my, like I, it didn't. Yeah, it's so disjointed. Yeah, it, it didn't feel right anymore. And I was not even interested in what I was doing. Like before I used to be interested in the technical stuff. But So I, I started this online doula training and obviously it was to like to cure myself, like to, 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 yeah, debrief my, my own trauma. And I thought at that point that I would become a doula and that I would save women from what I've, <laughs> what I, what I, yeah, which I think is for a lot of doulas. So I started reading all the books and doing lots of online training and stuff to really understand what happened to me. And then a year later, we were back in Belgium. I quit the flying job. Uh, my husband as well. He found a job in Europe. And then I, I still thought that I would be a pilot and a doula. I didn't really know how that would work out. But then COVID happened and I realized that I didn't want to fly anymore. And so I attended my first birth. Uh, it was a friend of mine, a, a friend of mine from Qatar who gave birth at my mom's house because her parents were not for a home birth and she lived there. So long story short. This is before um, the school? This is before the school. Okay. Yeah, this is before the school. And there was a, two regulated midwives for that birth and the birth went very well. And it was, yeah, what I forgot to mention, I, I went to Michel Audin seminar with my friend, actually, the one who was giving birth a few weeks before her birth. And, and he really, yeah, he really said that he, he, he was talking about V-backs um, and his wife, who's a, like a doula, radical birth keeper, said that women who were giving birth at home unassisted were the clever ones. <laughs> she said that in front of like hundred doulas yeah. and OBs and stuff. So uh, already it started like, yeah. And then at that birth, Everything went well. And at the end, um, the midwife said, oh, it's time for pushing now. And she, she, like, she, she tried to make my friend push. And it really didn't feel right with everything that I had learned. And especially Michel Audin, who is the one who coined the term uh, fetal ejection reflex. 
And I was like, why is, does she has, have this coach pushing at home when everything seems fine? And, and then it, it, was not, it wasn't working. Like she was trying to push, but obviously you're not supposed to try to push. Like it's supposed to happen and it wasn't working. And it, it started to like, well, eventually the baby was born at home. Everything was fine, but it yeah. was strange. Imagine if I came over to your house and I was like, I want you to poop right now. Start pooping. <laughs> I want you to just start pooping right now. On this is this is when I think you should poop right now. Yeah. Like it would literally be impossible. Yeah. It's so yeah, upsetting. It's like they just they can't help themselves. No. <laughs> and and that's that's one of the most like uh, open and like you I mean I mean radical but not radical midwife that there is uh, home birth midwife that, that there is in our community. So <laughs> I was really surprised. And then I remember when she left, because after that, she came for obviously for a few postpartum visits. And I said, so do you, even then I was, I, I wasn't really like understanding the full impact of like that kind of intervention. And I said, do you accompany women for VBACs at home? And she was like, no, we don't. Uh, only if you've had a vaginal birth in a hospital in, in between, like your VBAC and then the, the third birth or whatever. So I was like, oh, wow. So this means that I can't birth at home for a second child with a, with a regulated midwife. And then I realized that all, all the birth centers in Belgium are the same. You can't have a VBAC in a birth center, even one which is in the hospital. You mm -hmm. can't have it. Like, so I was like, oh, but there's no way I'm going to hospital with everything that I know now. Like, there's no way. And I still remember I was in my, in my room uh, on my phone. And I still remember, like, I was following you. I was following Free Birth Society. Yeah, and it, it clicked. I, I looked at one of your posts and you started talking about the, the Radical Birth Keeper School. And I was like, this is it. This is the solution. If I want a birth at home, I'm going to have a free birth. And then I, a couple of months later, I enrolled into the school. And that was like such a big revelation. And, and yeah, and also what I did just before that was maybe you've heard about her. Her name is Quentic Mama. She's the one who took all of the teachings from Wapio and translated them into French and added her touch for the French speaking world. And, uh, and she also has a lot of, um, of trainings and stuff. And I did one of her seminars and uh, she talked a lot about feedback and about the fact that she is confident that our uterus is clever and is not gonna like, you know, overwork itself. And because obviously the, the, the talk is always about uterine rupture and that's the fear that there is. And that's, that's a fear that I had to like, I had to work through, but through the, the school and then that seminar with her, like I started thinking, well, of course, I'm, of course I'm going to have a free birth after C-section. Um, the logic there is like, so there's a tiny, 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 tiny percent of the possibility that in a normal vaginal VBAC that your uterus would rupture, but there's a hundred percent likelihood of surgery yeah. which comes with all of those complications or potential complications if you just go in for a repeat c-section you know like the yeah, yeah it just doesn't ever really add up in my brain yeah and I, re I remember what really uh st st stuck with me was on that seminar she mentioned that uh because she used to be a regulated midwife and in her first years uh there was a woman in the hospital that had um uterine rupture but it was not um, a VBAC. It was a first-time mother, Probably. and they, she had um, an epidural, and they went full on the oxy on the, the, the oxytocin, like the synthetic mm -hmm. oxytocin. And this is why her uterus yeah. rupture. And, and I remember thinking, like, wow, you know, the, so it's not about this VBAC thing. It's it's just yeah, what they do because we know the percentage of, of uh, uterine rupture in a hospital setting, but we don't like we don't know it for a free birth, for a, a, a like a autonomous birth. 
So, so and I, I started feeling like there was a spirit baby that was talking to me at that point that was trying to come. But I wanted to, I wanted it to be clear with my husband that this is what we were going to do. So it was um, it was summer. We were driving. We always have those hard conversations when we're, when we're driving. And I told him, so we want to have a second child. But I'm telling you already that this is what's going to happen. Our baby is going to be born at home with no no medical assistance. And in the beginning, he was like, no, 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 no. And I said, if you don't agree, you don't have to be there if you don't want to. I'll have someone there. But if, if, if it's okay, if you don't have to be there. But if, you, if it's not okay at all, then we won't have a second child. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, so, and, and then he said, okay, uh, you'll educate me on this. You'll, uh, you'll, you'll give me the, the books and the tools and I'll, I'll, I'll be ready for it. And so um, we went on this con- con- conscious conception uh, journey, which was really amazing. And um, I did a, a vision board of like images and I had my little altar and, um, and we, we ate a lot of good foods. We had uh, liver and like, lots of uh, nutrient rich foods. And I remember on that little vision board, I put, uh, I love flowers and I put a photo of a narcissus, like the yellow flower that comes in, uh, in spring because I love them and I plant them in my garden. And then when we started trying, it wasn't coming. It, I, I thought that because I was on this conception journey and I knew my cycle better and everything now, it would come like this. Totally. <laughs> so I was really so confident that this time it would be so easy, but it didn't. And it took a few months and that was again, part of the journey. And then when I finally realized that I, I was probably pregnant and I checked, like I knew exactly when we, when the baby was conceived and I checked that my due date would be spring. I was like, well, I manifested that on my vision board. How, I mean, it couldn't have been different. This is how it was supposed to be. So, so I, I, I didn't do a pregnancy test because after the complete guide to free birth, I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Let's try that because I'm normally, I'm super cur- curious for my first daughter, I took lots of pregnancy tests <laughs> way early that were negative because it was too early. So I was like, okay, let's see if I can do this. Let's see if I can trust the process completely and not, not do it. And I did it. Respect. And it was amazing. Uh, yeah, well, and I obviously no judgment to anyone who does a pregnancy test. It's not invasive. It's not, but it's just, I wanted to see if um, I, I, it was like the first part of, of the journey for me. And the first trimester was absolute bliss. I don't have any morning sickness or any like uh, horrible symptoms. So I'm, I'm really lucky. And, and yeah, it was absolute bliss. I felt so happy. There was no like medical interference, nothing. It was the end of, um, of summer, beginning of fall. And I attended a, a, a first birth as a radical birth keeper there, which was good. But then the end ended up with a transfer to the hospital for the placenta. So there was already something to, but it didn't scare me. Like it, I didn't feel like this would be something that would apply to me. And then the second trimester was really, really hard because I attended a birth as a birth keeper where the baby died. And, and I had a call with you about this. And um, it, it was a, a, a VBAC two, like after two C-sections. And yeah, I felt so much guilt and so much like everything. And yeah, that was, that was a really dark 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 time for me I felt like I you know I I shut the connection with my baby at that point I was like I want to protect you from this so I'm just like shutting down this whole thing because it's it's too hard I I got really scared as well of the the legal repercussions of this because at one point the police took over the case and and there was proof that I was there but the, the parents are amazing and they like they knew from the beginning that this was a possibility so obviously there, there was nothing uh, after that you also um, didn't. You also didn't do anything illegal, and no. you also didn't have anything to do with the baby dying. 
Yeah. Right. Like both of those things are true, even yes. though. It's yeah. Yeah. Good. But there's such a witch hunt, you know, so that there was the fear that, and, and then I started thinking like, what if I go to jail? What like, you know, you, you have these stories in your mind of the worst case scenario and everything. But I remember coming back from that birth completely like devastated. Um, my husband asked me, one of the first questions that he asked was like, is, is this changing your plans or plans? And I was like, no, it's not. Cause I mean, it's not because it happened to that baby that it's going to happen to our baby. I knew that I knew from, from that point that it was, I was still going in that direction, but it started a fear. I, I, I really made me uh, think about death. I already thought about death before, because when you're on this journey, you know, you know that you're not going to be able to help to hold someone else responsible. If your baby dies, like while you're giving birth at home, unassisted uh well it's you know that it's a possibility and that there's no one else that's uh, to blame for it but i started fearing the the whole thing around that like i knew that if if our baby died it was what we had decided i and we would think we would um, see it as like fate and you know but i was really afraid of everything else like you know people's judgment and what we could risk and uh and I tried for the rest of my pregnancy to, <laughs> to reassure myself on that because there is a lawyer here in Belgium who specializes in that. But no one ever answered. Like, I, I wanted to have a clear answer. I like black and white. <laughs> and I wanted someone to tell me, like, okay, maybe if you do one ultrasound, then if something happens, you will be, you, you will be safe. Uh, but obviously, that, that doesn't happen. And this is where I... It, it was towards the end of my pregnancy that I realized that there would be no clear answer and that I just had to, like, focus on... It was after a call with, uh, with Yolanda where she said, what do you want to focus your energy on? Do you want to focus your energy on this possible scenario or like the beautiful birth that you're, that you're, you're setting up for? And at that point, I realized, okay, I can't control this and whatever happens, happens. But then, <laughs> and then the third trimester, I started fearing that my baby was breech, which was like, I knew that with a breech baby, I would still, um, still give birth at home because a bridge VBAC is even worse than a, like a normal VBAC. Uh, that it, it would be a definite C-section. That's what the midwife uh, told me. And I started feeling like the, the bumps that I, I, I was feeling were the same as with my first daughter, who was breech. I was feeling like little kicks down my belly. And I had a dream that I had a boy who was breech and that I could like see him through my belly. It was so weird. And at that point, my husband told me, I was really, really late already in the pregnancy. I was like, 30 weeks or 30, yeah, 32 weeks. And my husband said, oh, I need a paper for work to have the paternity leave. It's like, <laughs> you're saying, this, and it needs to be ready in, within a week. So I went to see the midwife that, um, that I, I saw for my first daughter. And, and I know that she's open and she had heard about my project and she had messaged me uh, saying like, if you need anything, if you, if you want to book an appointment, come. Uh, but I knew that she was going to try to to give me her fears. So I, I, I initially I wasn't planning to go, but then I thought, well, I need this paper, so I, I'm going. And it's crazy that that experience was was crazy because I didn't want the Doppler. I didn't want to hear. I didn't need to hear my baby's heartbeat. I really didn't need it. And and I told my husband before we entered, like I I don't want this. And this midwife is very gentle, like really not pushy at all. But it's this white coat effect, even when you're sure of what you're, you want to do, even with someone who's not pushy. So she, she asked me if, she, if, if I wanted her to palpate my belly. And I was like, yeah, that's something that I, I don't mind. And then she asked me at the end, like, do you want the info? And I said, well, my baby's breech, right? And she said, yeah, I, I think so. And then she said, do you want to hear the hearts? And I don't know why I said yes. I was like, 
so we we heard the heart I was like okay and then when i when we got out i was like what was this it's so crazy so crazy the effect that it has and so from that moment i was yeah i didn't know what to do i was like okay if my baby's breech is that like a normal position that my baby wants to be in or is there something wrong with my body that my baby cannot turn or be in another position i was really in between the ideas that there was nothing to do that this would just be normal and the idea that maybe there was something to do yeah and that was that was hard but then at around 36 weeks i had this complete like breakdown I, I was like there's not enough time and and i'm too scared and i don't know what to do and then i booked a call with a um, previous uh, regulated midwife uh, her name is uh, martina gordner it's a confessions of, of a midwife on instagram and i booked a call with her because every book that i found on breach was talking about what to do to reverse breach but nothing was was talking about the physiology uh, of it the only book that i found was a book by Ina may gaskin and it was so hands-on that i was like oh it's a spiritual midwifery the part on breach i was like initially I, I gave it to my birth keeper and and then she said no i'm not interested in that thank you and it's like yeah thank you for saying this early in my pregnancy i already knew who would be at the birth uh, my husband said that he would be there and um and I have a friend who I, I knew we were totally aligned on this it was amazing to have her her support and so after this call with the with this uh, former midwife who is who who turned the, like birth keeper she really showed me lots of videos of breach and like the the physiology of it and how babies come out and it was amazing because it looks very different from a, a head down a uh, birth I, I showed it to my I showed it to my husband like the week before a baby was born and he's like it looks like a frozen chicken is coming out of her vagina <laughs> so that, that it was like because she said why aren't you afraid of um, of uterine rupture like you could completely put that fear uh, uh, away which is good but now you have this fear of breach and she said the only thing you have to do is do what you did with uterine rupture you apply that to breach and after after that call, it was like all my fears melted away. I I, I even thought that maybe I was I would be afraid if I didn't have a breech birth. And so so yeah, the, at the end of the pregnancy was good. I just let go all of this, and we were just enjoying time together with, with my husband who was there, my daughter. A few days before my like due date, not a due date, but the, the date that I calculated, um, I started having surges surges which were different. We were at my mom's, and I started started thinking like, oh, this is, this is different from, from the, the ones that I've, ha I've been having for the past few weeks. And so we, we went home and it didn't stop and it just uh, became more and more. We put up the pool, we, we, like, we put up a few different things that, that were not ready yet in the, in the birth space, which was the, the living room. And, um, and then we went to bed and the whole night I had like surges on and on. I didn't calculate or count anything. It's just every time I had a surge, I would go like on in, in child's pose and, and breathe through it and then try to sleep again. So I, I didn't sleep well. And I had the same with my, uh, my first daughter. Before going to the hospital, I had a full night of, a, of surge like this. And then it stopped for the day. So I had this expectation that it would stop and that I would have like a day break because there were still things that I wanted to do. Stupid things like put uh, twinkling lights in the birth pool, like, you know, very important things. Um, <laughs> and then um, I wake, I, I stayed in bed really late because I wanted to be in the dark. And, um, and but it kept coming and coming and coming. And then I had to, to accept that I wouldn't be putting those lights in the pool and that I wouldn't do all those little details that were unimportant. And um, there was a friend of my daughter who was there the whole day. So they were playing in the pool while I was just in the, in the living room. Like I was it's already in between worlds. It, it wasn't too painful. I, I just had to breathe through the, the contractions. 
Um, my birth keeper already came uh, just to see how I was doing. And I said, I'm still fine. You can go home. There's no point having you here like too early and just waiting. Um, and then uh, by the end of the afternoon, my daughter's friends was gone and it started to, to become more real. We started timing just to have an idea and it was coming like closer and closer and closer. I started crying. I, was, I yeah, like for no reason, obviously there was a reason, but I was like just releasing and I was crying. I was like, this is happening. Our baby's coming and crying, crying, crying. And then I initially, I didn't want to get in the pool too early because I didn't want it to stop things, but I felt that it was already um, getting uh, intense. So we went in the pool, the three of us, my husband, my, my daughter and I, and my daughter was full of energy. She was jumping from the side of the pool and she was oh, trying God. to talk me, to talk to me during contractions at one point. I, I was like, how old is she at this point? Uh, she was uh, uh, three and a half. Oof. Yeah. Um, but I, I had briefed her. I, I, I told her like, you, you, you can give me water during contractions and just like, you know, and then at one point, yeah, I, I told her like, shut up. And then when the contraction was done, I'm sorry, but okay. When you see that I'm breathing, I'm doing this, yeah. you don't talk to me. Okay? <laughs> okay. And then she started like giving me water with the straw and telling me you're doing it, mommy, you're so strong. Like she was, she was really good. And then she got bored and she, I, I actually, I don't remember what she did for the rest of the birth. Like she was there but I can't tell you what she was doing. I was so in the zone in my own thing that I don't know what she was doing. Um, and around like two hours later, I, I already felt that it was really intense. So I told my husband to, to call our birth keeper and she came and it was yeah around 7.30 in the evening. And from that point, I felt that like the whole birth was transition. <laughs> it was just, I kept repeating that I couldn't do it and that it was too hard and that I was... <laughs> And then it was too painful. And like, it was like a mantra that I was repeating like over and over, even though I never felt any fear. I never, like, I always knew that I was okay and that it was okay, but I just kept saying it over and over. And I went between the pool, the toilet where it was too intense, the dilation station, it was too intense. So I didn't like to stay there. Uh, so I would go back to the pool. I tried to lay down in the couch. I realized why uh, women don't want to be on their backs. It was a nightmare to be on my back. And uh, a few hours later, on, around nine, my, I was in the toilet and my birth keeper said, okay, have you tried putting your fingers? Just like, like just out of curiosity. Like just a, and I said, I, I'm afraid that I will be disappointed. But then on the other hand, I have no idea what it's supposed to feel like. So I put my fingers and I felt a little bowl, little something. And um, I was completely already out of it now because I, we, we, we were sure that it was a boy. I don't know why we were sure I had dreams and stuff. Uh, so I said, maybe it's one of his testicles. What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> My water stage. You have no idea. Yes. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah. so I said, oh, maybe it's one of his because my waters hadn't even broken it was it was my my, my water side my amniotic side um but it was encouraging because it was there I even asked my husband I was like can you feel how, how far it is and, and what it feels like and he said oh it feels like it's quite close um we were still like yeah between the um, the the toilet and the pool um and then at around 10 o'clock I, 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 I just wanted a break. I, I remember that some women feel this, this um, phase where they, they can sleep and you know the contractions stop. And I was like, when is this coming? This is what I want. I need this. I need it to stop. 
Um, so my husband said, okay, let's go to our bed and just be there together. Our birth keeper was with our daughter. She read all the books of, of that we have in our house. Yeah. While my daughter was in the pool, my daughter used the pool more than me. And then at that point in the, uh, on the bed, I told my husband, like, um, I, if I was in the, in the hospital right now, I would be taking the epidural for sure. There is absolutely no doubt. And maybe I would even sign for a C-section. Like I'm, I am so done. This is too painful. Like I, yeah, I can't do this. And then he was like, he really walked me through like, you really want to like go take the car, go in the car and go to the hospital and you know what will happen to you. You did no, um, no prenatal care with them. Uh, they're going to C-section you like, is this what you want? I was like, no, it's not, it's too painful. And then I got what I wanted. I got 20 minutes of respite, like contraction okay. completely stopped. It stopped and we both slept for 20 minutes. And, uh, and after that, I tried going back to the pool, but it was too cold. My husband said, okay, because our daughter was still up, it was late. So he went to put her to bed. And then he said that he would go to bed as well, because it might still be hours and that it would, it would be good if one of them was, uh, had energy. So he went to bed and then my birth keeper said, you're, you're in the pool right now, but the pool is cold and it's just, nothing is happening. I was just there because it was comfortable. Like, you know, because it was kind of slowing things down, but nothing was happening. And I felt that I, I, I should get out. So she said, okay, let, let's get you out. And, and we went to the toilet. I still had my comb. You know that some women use a comb for um, uh, like a, hmm. the, the, the thing that you use. And I, I, I read that it, it could help for contraction. So I, I, I hung to that thing for the whole birth. I don't know if it helped at all. But, and I was there in the toilet. And at one point, and yeah, at one point I told them just before my husband went to bed, I don't remember this. I was just wearing my, um, my robe and I said, uh, it's never going to happen. And my husband, the whole time he was funny and he was always like, they always believed that it, it would be fine. And, and he said, you think that your baby, our baby is going to stay in you forever? Like, yeah. And then I looked at him and I said, because you still believe that this is going to happen? <laughs> they were like, yes. <laughs> and then on the toilet, I was like, uh, my birth keeper was massaging my back. And I, apparently I was telling her, I still I don't remember this, all the things that should um, do, that should be happening. If this happens, we need to do that. And if, if this happens, like, but I, I wasn't really in my brain because I don't remember. And then I, I felt this, this first push and I was like, oh, oh this is there. But I, and, and I, I told her I want to be on all, on all fours, but I didn't want to be on the, on the cold floor of the toilet. So we went in the living room. I just, I just had the time between two contractions to go on all fours. And then my waters broke like, like an explosion that was so amazing so I told her go and wake him up but he, he never slept within 30 minutes my my baby was out I, I it was so amazing to feel like my it, I, I remember a friend telling me that it was like puking from from your yoni <laughs> and it really felt like that it was so uncontrollable and it wasn't painful anymore like I would like be like ah, scream and then Ugh! Uh, and um and at first they told me we see something we see something coming but we still thought that the baby was breached and then they said we see hair so it's either a head or it's a boy with hairy testicles already <laughs> <laughs> so obviously it was it was head came out i i really felt the the ring of fire i was like it burns it burns i felt like i tore but i didn't and then uh, after her head was born, the, um, the next contraction, she, she got out. My, I was on all four on the couch. My husband caught her. She had the cord uh, wrapped twice around the neck. He just untangled her like completely naturally. My birth keeper said like, like he had done that his entire life. 
I turned, he, I, I was still like out there. He gave her to me um, between my legs and I checked. I, and I was like, it's a girl. And he didn't even, even think to check. And we were like, oh, we, are, we already knew that we were going to call our girl Penelope. So we just looked at each other. It was like, hello, Penelope, you're there. She cried instantly. And I, was, I, I cried as well. I, I couldn't believe that it was happening. I was so happy. Then I started uh, shaking a little bit, which I knew could happen. I was in front of the fire. They gave me something warm to eat. We just cuddled, cuddled in the blanket. And we wanted to wait for the placenta to, to be out to wake up my other daughter. We wanted to wake her up so she could uh, meet her, her sister. But then um, the placenta wouldn't come out. So I tried leaning over a bowl. I tr- and my, my daughter, my, my, my second daughter, my baby, uh, didn't uh, want to breastfeed for like 20 minutes. She cried, cried, cried. She only calmed down when she, when she, she was in my husband's arms. Then she calmed down. And, and she, she breastfed, but like really a little bit. And I didn't have any contractions, but I felt fine. There was no bleeding. I felt great. So after two hours, which was, you know, like for regulated midwives, this is like the hard stop um but I I was confident and I tried I tried to pull I took my tincture like I I tried what I knew but nothing happened so we told my birth keeper okay just go to bed go back home we'll we'll deal with this on our own and we just went to bed all of us and we wanted to do a lotus birth so I was still connected to my baby while my placenta was still in me so we went to bed at like uh, so my daughter was born at two uh two in the morning and we went to bed at five and, um, and then we woke up at seven and it was, I, I was trying to go to the toilet to push and to pull. And it was too complicated with the cord, which was short mm-hmm. and like my, my husband holding her. And we were not that attached to the Lotus birth. Like we wanted, we had everything in case we wanted to do it, but if we didn't, it was fine. So we decided to burn the cord at that point. Uh, just, uh, because placenta to... is still inside you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we did that. And I, before going to bed, I sent a message to that midwife that I had a call with because she told me that after that call, I, I could call her if anything happened. And just before going to bed, I, I messaged her like, I tried everything I knew, I know about getting this placenta out. I'm not particularly stressed, but I know as well that there's no reason that it should stay there. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, and I want it, I want it out. So, but when, when I wake, I woke up again, she said, it's fine. Don't worry. Like, you know, try what you know. But don't don't stress and don't go to the hospital if there's no reason, uh, which I wasn't planning on doing. And then at around noon, so that was like 11 hours and 30 minutes after our daughter was born, mm-hmm. I wanted to take a shower and I just thought this thing is going to get out. And I went to the toilet and I pushed and then I started peeing. And, I, and then this is where I realized actually that my bladder was full and it was yeah. my, my full bladder. That was, um, and then I, I realized that during the whole birth, I only peed twice. Like I can only remember peeing twice and then yeah once I peed the placenta I got out I had a bowl uh we we decided to so wait you it. didn't pee postpartum no no crazy and yeah but I didn't really think about it like and it burned so I, I you know um but yeah definitely if I had peed earlier I know that the placenta it was uh-huh. definitely detached it was just hanging there what's funny about um the placenta is it seems like pretty much every story I've ever heard, including my own, once the mother is like, get out, <laughs> like once she's at, and that can happen at 30 minutes, that could happen at 11 hours. But when the mother really is like, I'm done, mm-hmm. you know, on some deep level, that's often yeah. 
you know, yeah, when yeah, it yeah. happens, but yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, and, you know, this is an interesting, the bladder is always an interesting one that when we don't have, you know, like really experienced midwives with us, because a, a good midwife is going to think about your bladder a lot, right? That's like yeah. one of the things I'm thinking about the most at a birth, yeah. 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 but it's so easy to not think about it when you're the birthing mother herself. And there's obviously so much going on and you're only half back in your body. And it's just also, um, you know, you know how it is. It's just so wild for, for your own psyche postpartum. And so I find a lot of stories about bladders not being released either in the birth or postpartum because it is kind of one of those funny things that it would be so nice if someone just had like mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I knew about it during birth because my friend's birth that I attended, the one with the midwife, couldn't pee. And so the midwife actually put a, I don't know how, yeah, catheter. Um, and so that was something that I knew. And I remember the, the podcast episode about uh, your friend who mm-hmm. ended up uh, yeah, having the whole crazy story with that. So I, but But yeah, I, I, then after that, I didn't really think about it anymore. Yeah. And then yes. And I'm so happy that it's out. (laughs) And, um, and yeah, I felt, it felt so great. I went in the shower and then we just started or yeah, the the rest of the story started my, my, yeah, my, when my, my first daughter uh, came, because after that, we, we still woke her up in the night, even though the placenta wasn't out Mm -hmm. and she was like, crying half happy half you know <gasps> I was so scared but uh but it was it was so beautiful so beautiful and um yeah and then the first um 40 days I was high <laughs> I was really high uh it was amazing we had hired um um uh, innate uh, tradition uh, practitioner so I got uh, like almost daily massages we had a freezer full of amazing dishes my husband did everything I just I was just like a queen uh mm. in the couch just uh yeah just uh, skin to skin with my baby the whole time at the end I really wanted to get up and I really wanted to clean the kitchen so like the end of the 40 days I it, it was long but uh but it was such a sacred a sacred time um so, yeah so Amazing. so beautiful wow so the baby wasn't breached and baby wasn't breached no <laughs> baby wasn't breached funny I was almost disappointed. <laughs> I know, right? Well, you get all hyped up for it. Yeah, totally. I was like, I'm going to have a breach V-back. <laughs> and how old is this baby now? Uh, she's seven and a half months old. And how how has this V-back outside the system birth changed you? Wow. Uh, it's amazing. I had lots of expectations on how this birth would change me. And I was a bit afraid that, you know, those wouldn't come come to be true because it took me two years after my first daughter to get my energy back to you know realize what I wanted to do to like I, I felt like depressed for so long and now it's like this fire that's inside me has been like ignited with fuel it's um it's amazing I I'm just so much more confident in in my mothering and it's it brought us together together as a couple my husband is now the biggest advocate for <laughs> for free birth for um it's he's just um Yeah, he's amazing. We also discovered elimination communication with the, mm-hmm. with our daughter, mm-hmm. which has been like also like the biggest trial of intuition of intuition that you can have. It's just uh, now she's a little bit on a strike, so it was it was a bit disappointing. But for the first six months, we caught like 95% of her pees. She right. didn't poo in a in a diaper for yeah for six months. It's just it's incredible, incredible how wise our babies are. 
and yeah i know this birth has completely completely changed me it's amazing love it <laughs> yeah you know your story is so so important because obviously so many women have primary c-sections and there's just horrific stories everywhere you turn and so women are at this crossroads where most of them will go back into the system that cut them open to begin with and they will feel optionless right because the system won't give them any options or the options will be like we can try for a vaginal birth yeah. or I know lots of doctors in LA who will only do a VBAC if um, the mom's on an epidural. There's like mm. rules, you know, yeah. but those can feel like options. And, you know, and then there's a small amount of women who just go no to all of that. And they are the brave women. They're the women who are, you know, doing some really, really deep work to step that far out of what is acceptable in society and step that deep into our primal nature, right? And the gift that you give yourself, your body, your family, you know, it just, how could it not color the rest of your life? Yeah. Yeah. Epic. Especially <laughs> attending a birth where there was a loss, you know, that, that rightfully so is going to throw anyone for, oof, you know, for a loop. Yeah. Yeah. It just sounds like, like, I mean, I guess for all of us, but there were so many opportunities in your story to, to not stay steadfast and not stay clear. And you did, you know, and you reaped yeah. the benefits of it. Yeah. Because yeah. You did. yeah there, there, there were parts of my story where, where I was like, am I selfish? Am I just doing this for myself? And is it dangerous to my baby? Like, is it just something that I want, you know, a create, because this is what the outside world makes you think. Mm -hmm. That you're crazy. Like, why wouldn't you want the safety of the hospital and of the, everything that they can give to you? Yeah, it this was real is, safe for you last time. Yeah, exactly. And this is oh, why yeah. also I didn't I didn't mention my my plan to to many people. Like most people, I just kept them in the dark. Uh, my my sister-in-law is a regulated midwife uh, here in France, and um, and she knew she knew what I was what I, what I was going to do, and she respected me, so she never asked. Uh, and I really I really like that. And my mother-in-law at the end of the pregnancy, she was like. She knew as well, but she's like, so is there going to be a midwife? And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't want people to project their fears onto me because I was going to do it anyway. And I was already dealing with my own fears. Sure, and, totally. um, and, and, and this is what I tell most women. I'm like, for my first birth, like birthing in a birth center was already alternative to most people around me. And I tried to convince them. And then I, I, it, back, it really backfired. And then for this one, I was like, I'm not going to convince anyone because my, my mother-in-law actually, after that, she said, well, that's all and good, but you were just lucky. Mm -hmm. Of course. So yeah. you're not going to convince people like, you know, the ones who <laughs> think like, that it's, it's like saying every time you don't choke on your food, you're just lucky. Yeah. You know, like a normal physiological event, right. Is to chew your food and swallow it successfully. <laughs> not choke. So every time you do that, it's like, you're just lucky that you didn't choke and die because occasionally someone chokes and dies. Yeah. It's just yeah. so, it's so backwards and yeah. so disconnected. And, you know, on the selfish tip, when you see mother baby as one, which obviously people in mainstream don't, but mm. when, when you understand mother baby as one to be selfish is to be for your baby. Like yeah. if you can't separate them, then to do what is right for you and to put yourself first is also to put your baby first, right? Like, because yes, you can't, you can't parse it out. 
and you know yeah because we, i see so many so many women like thinking that they're that it's selfish to birth at home so they go to the hospital and then they end up with a postpartum depression which is actually just trauma from what right. they and and then they can't take care of their baby <laughs> and, then, and they yeah they don't understand <laughs> yeah it's yeah. just all all related yeah 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 beautiful thank you so mm-hmm. much thank you so much for having me <laughs> that's it for today my sisters check out everything we do including one-on-one and group coaching learn about our private membership in-person retreats and more on freebirthsociety.com our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com including our flagship course the complete guide to free birth don't miss the radical birthkeeper school if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honoured. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralysing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the start. Conscious, conscious.